Well, welcome back, everybody. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with Hollywood. Um, I, uh, in, in a lot of respects, I just, you know, my, my daughter loves going to the movies. She always wants to go to the movies. Dad, go to the movies with me. No, why not? Because most of the movies, I just can't take them. They're just no good. But the love part is, is when they do something that has to do with, usually, has to be usually true for me. Okay, I don't like fiction. I'm not a big Star Wars fan or, you know, Lord of the Rings or those type of those. That's fine if you enjoy it. I'm not saying you can't enjoy it. But I'm not a big, I'm a historian, right? So I, I want something that's true. And so the question you need to be asking yourself is, because this has been our, this has been our, um, Oh, I missed it. Where'd it go? Yeah, there it is. This has been our uh, kind of our theme song for this class. By the way, my name is Kirk Rogers. Welcome to the Academy of Faith. Most of you have already been here. Anybody not been here before? Oh, good. Good. Got some newbies. Call you newbies. <laughs> Welcome. But this has kind of been our uh, theme song for this class. We're going through the Ten Commandments, and Bob Dylan in 1979 wrote a song, this is right after he became a Christian, called Gotta Serve Somebody. But today, um, I put this up. Chariots of Fire won the Academy Award for Best Picture. As long, I think it won maybe four or five more awards other than the Best Picture Award. And one of the main characters in that movie was Eric Little, who became an <coughs> Olympic champion in the 400 meter for Great Britain. So the question you need to be asking yourself right now is why did Kirk switch over to this? Um, I'll give you a hint. See, we're on commandment number four today. Commandment number four. And that has something to do with it. And at the end of class, it's just like being back teaching middle school. At the end of class, if you're good, we're going to watch part of this movie. <laughs> and if you don't know the answers, you'll know it. Well, I'll probably give it away. <laughs> some, some of you think you already know. All right, so keep it to yourself. You murdered somebody. <laughs> that, that's the, those, those are the movies I hate. Relations with Israel. Um, but so, so think about this. I mean, how, how providential is this? I'm going through this class, getting ready to, to do this class, and I'm, 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 I'm kind of struggling with this. Because one of the things about the Ten Commandments, you think it would be pretty easy, right? Boom, 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 get out, get in, get out. Um, but there's a lot that goes into every one of these commandments. I mean, we could spend an entire three months talking about one commandment, this one especially. So I'm kind of struggling with this. And I decide I'm going to use this in the class. And I'm flipping through the channels, watching mostly basketball games, back and forth. They're having all their tournaments. And I come across Turner Classic Movie. It's on. <laughs> and they were only five minutes in. So I put it on, and I watched the whole movie. Fantastic. All right, so let's get into this. Um, let me pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day, especially this day, this holy day, uh, this Sabbath day, which you set aside for us to specifically use to worship you and glorify you and serve you. I thank you for each and every person in this class today. I thank you for their willingness to set aside this time to uh, study your word, to talk about your word, to grow deeper in their faith. What a wonderful blessing that is. Be with us now. May nothing I say or do de detract from all of us growing in true faith. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love us and that you went to the cross for us. Amen. Amen. So we are talking about the, the Ten Commandments. Most of you that have been here, um, you've seen these slides. These are, these are going to kind of be review again. But I've kind of done the review slides a little bit different since this is the fourth commandment. And I think this is probably the fifth or sixth time we've been together. I thought some of you that have been here each week 
might be getting a little tired of them, but I kept a couple the same. So, oops, a little too fast here. All right, so the Ten Commandments are the creator God of the universe's instructions to us. As C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, moral rules are directions for running the human machine. Every moral rule is there to prevent a breakdown or a strain or a friction in the running of that machine. And if that gets you interested in mere Christianity and C.S. Lewis, Greta Myers is teaching that class up in the West Tower. The only bad thing about that is, is I'm teaching now and I can't go up there <laughs> and be part of that class. The other thing we want to stress in this class is this idea of Christian orthodoxy or basic Christian doctrine or traditional Christianity. Carol came up to me yesterday in the mail. I just got my, my latest book, and it's basically about Christian orthodoxy, basic Christian doctrine, traditional Christianity. So in this class, we want to make sure that we understand that this is not the norm any longer in our culture, that our culture glorifies self and disregards God's truth. However, God's word speaks clearly into every area of our lives, offering us not what we want to hear, but what we need most. Our culture glorifies self and disregards God's truth. If you're wondering, why does Kirk have this love-hate relationship with Hollywood? It's because they tend to go there. That one movie, Chariots of Fire, back in 1981, they went the opposite direction. The Ten Commandments do not, and I'll say that again, do not provide us with a ladder to climb to reach acceptance with God. Instead, they are a mirror that exposes our sin and sends us to our Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, charting the way the Christian must walk to enjoy the fullness and freedom our Heavenly Father intends for us. The gospel sends us to the law again and again to inquire what is our duty on those who are justified by our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian believer is free from the law as a means of justification. The believer is not, is not justified by keeping the law, but having been justified, the believer strives to keep the law. Now the question is, how are we doing? <coughs> so I was thinking about that this week when it comes to following the Ten Commandments. You know, so Kirk, how are you doing? You've gone, you, you've gone over three now in class. You've, you've spent time studying. How are you going through your days trying to make sure that you're honoring these commandments, these laws of God? So here's my score. There you go. I'm 0 for 3. And so then I'm studying on this class. So I started thinking about, well, let's, let's look at this one, honoring uh, the, the, the commandment 4 is about honoring the Sabbath. And this means I'm even more so. Th th this commandment has really convicted me um, about uh, honoring the Sabbath. So I'm 0 for 4. And uh, my guess is you probably pretty much have the same score, but here's the good news. We're not supposed to be zero for four, but God has provided for us because we are zero for four. All right, so let's, let's uh, go through these commandments that we, we need to try and, and, and uh, make sure we're abiding by. So I, I thought about this, you know, and, and the idea is it's not like God's grades is grading on the curve, right? So if you kind of get this right, he's one of those professors who come to you, right, and say, yeah, I don't grade on the curve. You've you got to get every single question right or you flunk my class. And that seems kind of harsh, but that's what happens when you're dealing with a perfect all-creator God, right? So... I guess I probably sh I shouldn't maybe thrown you guys in here, but I did anyway. I should have just probably should put put the word I up there, but I haven't loved God exclusively. That was commandment two. I haven't worshipped the correct, true God correctly. So it's not just about honoring God, worshiping God, but it's also about honoring and worshiping Him, worshiping Him correctly. 
I haven't been free of the misuse of his name. And then finally, today we'll talk about honoring um, and abiding in the Sabbath. So Alistair Begg, who I'm reading one of his books to help me with this class, and I, I, I'll admit that I take a lot of this stuff from him, writes in his book, if we could have kept all the commandments perfectly, then God would have accepted us. But we can't, and therefore he doesn't. We're guilty. We've broken God's law, and it is by means of the law that we're made conscious of our sin. If we simply compare ourselves with other people, we may say, well, I'm a little better than this individual, I'm not as good as that one, but I'm on a kind of sliding scale, I'm really not that bad, and if God grades on the curve, then presumably I'm really okay. But when we stand against a perfect law of holiness and place our lives in the reflection of this, we realize that we are guilty. But God provided for that. So Romans chapter 3, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Romans 3.19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, the purpose being, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Until the law conforms us with our, uh, confronts us, excuse me, confronts us with our sin and our need of a Savior in whom we then trust, any explanation of the Ten Commandments will fall upon deaf ears. So the believer that keeps the law of God, not believing that by keeping it we gain acceptance or approval with God, but rather we keep God's law as a declaration of our grateful response to his love. Until we understand that, then we really haven't understood enough to proceed with the study of the Ten Commandments. And you're probably getting tired of hearing this, but you're going to hear it every class I teach on the Ten Commandments. So here today we come to our fourth commandment. Exodus 28. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So that's our focus for today. And boy, could we spend a lot more time on this. So make sure you understand that I'm not doing a complete exhaustive study on this commandment today. So the Bible Project, we saw one of their videos a couple weeks ago. Um, I, I like these guys. I'm, you know, I, I just I think they do a really good job of taking very complicated, sometimes complicated themes and kind of helping us with this. So they have a video on the Sabbath. So I thought they did a much better job in five minutes and 27 seconds than I could. So we're going to watch this video together, but I'm going to give a little bit. I know this is small, so you're going to have to listen to me read this. But one of the things that I found this, in, this is from the notes on this video. So, oh my goodness. You go watch one of these five-minute videos, and if you click on their study notes, the study notes are, this study notes for this 
video for its five minutes and 20 seconds, like 52 pages. <laughs> 52 pages. So this, is, this was in one of those notes. So one of the things that we have to remember is the Sabbath was instituted by God way back, uh, of course, in the Old Testament. And uh, if you, you know, I think it was um, somebody came up to me, uh, it's probably, I think it was Margaret, and she goes, you know, Kirk, I, I like your class. You're just bringing in all kinds, got, you got your Catholic priests, you got your evangelicals, you, now we got a rabbi. <laughs> so this is what he says about the Sabbath, and I know it's, it's, it's small, so I'm gonna, you're going to have to listen as I read. This phrase is so important, it's easy to miss its centrality. Just as in the seventh year of release, man desists from utilizing the land for his own business and benefit, so on the Sabbath day, he desists from using that day for his own affairs. And just as the intervals in regard to the release year and the jubilee years are determined by the number seven, so too is the number seven determinative for the recurring day when man refrains from his own pursuits and sets it aside for God. In regular succession, he breaks the natural flow of time, proclaiming and that the break is made for the sake of the Lord. This meaning, which we have ascertained from the laws, finds its support in Isaiah 50, 58. If you restrain your foot on the Sabbath so as not to pursue your own affairs on my holy day. Man normally is master of his time. He is free to dispose of it as he sees fit or as necessity bids him. The Israelites is, is duty-bound, however, once every seven days to assert by word and deed that God is the master of time. One day out of seven, the Israelite is to renounce dominion over his own time and recognize God's dominion over it. Every seventh day, the Israelite renounces his autonomy and affairs, God's dominion over him. In the conclusion that, the, that every seventh day, the Israelite is to renounce dominion over time. They got that twice? Yes, got that twice, twice, sorry. God's dominion over time and thus over himself. Keeping the Sabbath is acceptance of the kingdom and sovereignty of God. So this video is going to focus uh, probably a um, little bit more on the Old Testament version of, of why the Sabbath was important to the Israelites, but then towards the end they start bringing it more into um, what we as Christians should be uh, thinking about and doing when it comes to the Sabbath. So I think it's helpful. So let's watch it and then we'll go from there. The number seven is a big deal in the Bible. Yeah, in biblical Hebrew, the word seven is connected to the idea of fullness or completeness. And that's something we all long for, but don't often experience. Instead, we find ourselves working endlessly, fighting back chaos with no real rest. Yes. Now keep all that in mind as we turn to Genesis 1 in the Bible. It begins with darkness and disorder, but then God speaks to bring about light and order so that life can flourish. And this happens over the course of six days. Each day is marked with the phrase, there was evening and there was morning. But on the seventh day, something special happens. God stops and rests. Right. Creation is brought to its completion on the seventh day. And that phrase, there was evening and there was morning, it doesn't appear on day seven. It's like a day with no end. On the seventh day, God's presence fills his creation. The land provides for all of God's creatures, including humans, who are appointed to rule the world with God forever. Kings and queens of the seventh day rest. I can get into that. 
But the humans are deceived by a dark power, and they forfeit that rest. They're exiled into the wilderness, where they have to work as slaves to the land. Until they die and return to the dust from which they came. But God wants to restore humanity back to that seventh day rest. So he chooses to give the family of Israel that experience of ultimate rest so they can share it with others. But how? They're in Egypt, slaves to an oppressive empire who's grinding them into the dust. So God confronts Egypt and liberates the Israelites, taking them through the darkness and chaos on the way to the promised land. Now while they're on their way, they find themselves in the wilderness. It's easy to get lost, life is a struggle, they're not in the land of rest yet. But while they're on the way, God invites them in the wilderness to start living as if they're in the promised land. But how do you practice the future rest in the wilderness? Well, God tells them that every seventh day they are to stop their work, or in Hebrew, to Shabbat, so that they can rest and enjoy God's good world. So take a whole day to live as if the ultimate rest has already come. Yeah, this is the Sabbath, celebrated every week on the seventh day. But there's more. The Sabbath is just one of seven festivals that Israel practiced every year, each one anticipating that seventh day rest. That is a lot of sevens. And there's even more. Every seven years, the Israelites were to liberate slaves, forgive debts, and let the land rest for a whole year. And then, every seven times seven years was the ultimate seventh day rest, called the year of Jubilee. If anyone had lost their land or gone into debt, all was forgiven, everything restored. Wow, so the Sabbath, these feasts, the year of Jubilee, it's all pointing towards the hope of future rest. Right. Now, when the Israelites went into the land, they forgot their God, and so they forfeited their chance for rest in the Promised Land. They're exiled and enslaved again by an oppressive nation, led back into a world of chaos and disorder. But Israel's prophets said that their exile would end one day, and that the ultimate jubilee of freedom and rest would come, but generations go by, and they're still waiting. It's at this dark point in the story that Jesus appears, and he launches his public mission on a Sabbath day. Yeah, he read aloud from the scroll of Isaiah, saying that it was time for all captives and slaves to be released because this was the year of the Lord's favor. What did he mean, this is the year of the Lord's favor? He was talking about the ultimate jubilee. Oh, so Jesus is claiming that seventh-day rest would come through him. Right, he said that he was the Lord of the Sabbath, and he confronted disorder and darkness in all of its forms, liberating people from sickness, sin, even from death itself. Yet, Jesus was killed, so even his work was undone. Well, it seemed that way. But notice, Jesus timed his death to take place at the end of the week. His body rested in a tomb during the Sabbath, and on the eighth day, he rose from the dead. Oh wait, the eighth day? You mean the first day of a new week? Exactly. Jesus' resurrection was like the first day of a new creation, where God's light and life broke into the darkness. So because of the resurrection, we have hope in God's promise of future rest. But we're not there yet. It's like we're still in the wilderness, where we experience struggle and pain. But as we journey towards that ultimate seventh day, Jesus invites us to experience a taste of real rest now, by following him. Or in his words, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Comments, questions, or concerns? Yes, ma'am. Um, I might not have the answer. <laughs> um, this week in the Wall Street Journal, there was a, a survey that was done about people in this country, and 28% worship on a regular basis. 28%. I'm a big Wall Street Journal fan. Did you read that? And I did read that article. Right. Wasn't that a and what, what was more frightening was back in the year 2000, it was 70%. That's right. That's so in 20 years, we've basically gone from 70% to 20%. Yeah. Did, how, did anybody find this helpful, more confusing? It's awesome. Yeah. It's really good. 
the, um, the switching the focus from you know not the list of things you can't do on the Sabbath to you know really celebrating <coughs> our being back in the garden. <laughs> right. It's great. And the way it's just a, a way of doing what the Lord is directing you that day, mm -hmm. as opposed to some other, all the other rules we make for ourselves. Like, what is it that the Lord would have us do with this rhythm of every seventh day? I like that. Mm -hmm. So These are amazing. So, um, I know, I, I, I enjoy them. Um, so one of the, you know, if you, we, we read the, the Bible verse about the fourth commandment, and a lot of that is in there, you know, you will desist, you will stop, you know, your work. And, and, and of course, the Jewish people took that, and they came up with this gigantic list of things you could not do in order to try and make sure that you were following that law. And I debated whether or not we should spend time talking about that. And here I am talking about it because I decided we weren't going to talk about it. <laughs> but I, if I'm right, Jeff might know the number, but there's somewhere like 58 specific things you cannot do. And the bakers and others who've gone to uh, Israel, they, you guys know this, right? So tell us a few things from your trips, Brad. So um, one of the things, we were staying in this hotel, is about 15 stories high. And um, Peggy and I are standing there waiting for the elevator. There's three elevators. And there's all these lines over here. And this elevator opens up. Nobody gets on. I said, well, come on. This one's empty. Yeah. So what we didn't realize was the Sabbath. And what we didn't realize is it stops elevator. at every floor because it's too much work to push a button. So every floor, all that, of course, we were way up high. And we were standing. No wonder nobody was getting on that elevator. <laughs> were the elevator, elevators express elevators? Or? Yeah. No. It was, it was you, just, just, you, you, you had to push a button. They, so they can't on, push the button. They can't turn on the light. On Sabbath, it that it automatically reverts to every floor, and then it goes back to a regular elevator. You can't. But there's two others that are not like that. You can't turn on the oven. You can't. I mean. So, my my brother lives up up by uh, Adams Avenue, and and uh, uh, Elkhorn Boulevard, and if you go up there, and somebody told me about this, I think it was, I think I read an article about it in the Reader, but. Up there, they actually do have that wire. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah. That, that runs all around. That lets them know how far you can walk on a Saturday without breaking the Sabbath. So if you look up and you see the wire, oh, that's it. You can't go any farther than that. And it actually exists. Right. I mean, it's, it's up there. You have it in La Jolla too. Um, and so. The other thing I thought we would spend time doing, which we're not, <laughs> um, is talking about how Jesus then took this, right? And we, a lot of us know a lot of these stories, but Jesus spent a lot of his time trying to convince the disciples and the Pharisees and everybody else about the idea. It's not about rule keeping, okay? It's about what you do with that day in honoring me. The, 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 the Sabbath was not, uh, you know, it, it wasn't made for all this rule following. It was set aside so that you can better have a relationship with me, your Lord and Savior. So that is what we're going to spend our time talking about. All right. So with that said, one of the things we're doing in this class, getting back to that Christian doctrine, that Christian orthodoxy, is we're looking at some of these confessions, the Heidelberg Confession, Westminster Shorter Catechism, Longer Catechism, and see what they had to say. Not a problem. So here's the Heidelberg Catechism, written in 1563. Uh, what is God's will for you in the Fourth Commandment? First, that the Gospel ministry and education for it be maintained, and that especially on the festival days of rest, I diligently attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches. You're doing that. To participate in the sacraments. We did that. To pray to God publicly. We did that. 
to bring Christian offerings for the poor. We did that. Second, that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways. Let the Lord work in me through his spirit and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Right? So that's kind of what they were talking about in the video. This idea of, of getting ourselves ready for that eternal Sabbath, that, that Sabbath day that never ends, where we're at rest, that where we're honoring and praising and worshiping God. It's, it's ceaseless, right? I like this one. The other two are a little more convoluted for me. But we're going to talk about it anyway. So here's the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is required in the Fourth Commandment? The Fourth Commandment require, requires the keeping holy to God such set times as he hath appointed in his word expressly one whole day in seven to be a holy Sabbath to himself. Which day of the seventh hath God appointed to be the weekly Sabbath? Because we, people debate about this, right? Because in, in Judaism, it's Saturday. Seventh-day Adventists. They're Christians. They worship on Saturday. From, from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, God appointed the seventh day of the week, Saturday, to be the weekly Sabbath. And the first day of the week, ever since, to continue to the end of the world, which is the Christian Sabbath. So as Christians, we have taken the resurrection of Jesus as our Sabbath day. How is the Sabbath to be sanctified? The Sabbath is to be sanctified by a holy resting all that day, even from such worldly employments and recreation as are lawful. We can talk about that. <laughs> We're not going to or the other days, and spending the whole time in the public and private exercises of God's worship, except so much as it is to be taken up in the works of necessity and mercy. Here's the Westminster Larger Catechism. I think I'm going to let you look that one up and read it. So, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. In other words, sanctify the day. Make the day sacred. Make it different from your other six days. Remember the Sabbath day is setting it apart. That's what it means to keep it holy. It means to set apart. To sanctify. So in what ways do we do that? So we can spend some time talking about that, right? We did in the Heidelberg Catechism. We, we talked about that. We come and we gather together in worship. We come to gather together and pray. We come to gather and do the, the sacraments, the holy sacraments. Now, the question that I have to ask myself, and the question I've been asking myself is, it says the day. Not the time we're here just to worship, but the day. You guys are still here. Two thirds of the congregation are gone. Come back to Sunday school. Um, and I'm not saying, I'm not trying to be judgmental here. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying, just like for me, I'll use myself, is I, I, I am now really thinking this through and convicting myself is how do I use the Sabbath day? Um, I don't know if I have a slide on this. Maybe I do. I'll save it. See if I do. So the Sabbath day is to rest in God's presence. Now that's not to say we don't do this or we shouldn't be doing this throughout the week. Every day is the Lord's day. But specifically on the Sabbath day, it should feel different. It should, it should look different. 
it should sound different. Uh, one person I was reading said um, one of the things they they try to, and I'm going to try, I'm gonna see if I can pull this off. What they try to do on the Sabbath, it was they were talking about fellowship after church. So we just had a big fellowship after church, right? That is a you can that's something we should be doing on the Sabbath, fellowshipping with our friends and other believers and seekers and people who just walk through our doors. But what this person said that he tries to do is on the Sabbath, he tries not to talk about current events. He tries not to talk about what's in the news. He tries not to talk about his own personal challenges or whatever. On the Sabbath, he tries to focus his attention on God and talk about what God has done. Interesting concept. So if we're all down, and, I, and, I, and of course I didn't do that when I was down in fellowship. I was probably talking about the Ukraine mess and how upsetting it is to me. But in this person, he, he would say, put that aside at least for the day of the Sabbath and rest in God's promises. Rest in the fact that God is in charge of the world and talk about the blessings on that day. Something that we're, we're not necessarily inclined to want to do, right? That's not, that, that's not our default. Jesus showed that the Sabbath was supposed to be about mercy, not legalism. And of course we have all these stories of Jesus healing on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was to point to Him. Keeping the Sabbath holy, setting it apart, makes clear to <clears throat> us that the difference which God has ordained in this day is a difference of a specific kind. I was reading another um, excerpt from a person, I can't remember who it was right now, but he says that pastors have even a special duty to make sure that when we meet as a congregation that there's a special feeling for that day. That that day must be excellent in every respect. Not that we shouldn't be doing that on the other days, but that one day we have to even make that much more of an effort. We pull out the flannel graph. Pull out the flannel. <laughs> Wear that Darth Vader robe. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know you're going to get that big of a laugh on that? No. <laughs> you, you just never know, do you? Were you making a joke? <laughs> the idea you wanted them to think you're going to say minister, right? I actually have the Imperial March going through my head as I walk around with that thing. The day is not simply a day set apart from other days, but it is a day set apart to the Lord. Um, I was going to read you an excerpt from Alistair Begg's book. He grew up in Scotland, and he has an excerpt from a, from a pretty well-known pastor there, way up in the far reaches of Scotland. And he describes what it was like on the Sabbath day for him growing up. And it does not sound like anything we would be familiar with. <clears throat> and he, 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 he talks about the fact that, um, you know, everybody would start getting things prepared as much as they could for the next day meal on Saturday. And the fact that you could... It was just, the thing that he said it was most striking to him was the silence. Because nobody was doing anything but going to worship, mostly walking, coming home, having dinner. Most of the people that had to walk a long way, people that, that closer to the church would have them in for dinner. And then they would go back in the evening. 
He says, it's the silence. Things that for us would just be so, so different than what we're used to. But the idea, once again, you know, we got to go there. Well, chances are we can't even go there. Not, not in San Diego, but what are we doing to set apart this day to make this day the day of the Lord? And I, I think of all the people, staff members of this church, the people that work in the praise band, the tech, the, the ushers, the people that serve communion, everybody that does what John with his security, poor John's out there dealing with stuff that we have no idea, unless you'd ask him what he did today, that make this day a special day for the Lord. The day of rest is a day which has a positive dimension and focus towards the Lord our God. It is not simply kept from our everyday routine, but it is kept for the Lord. The rest which God has ordained is a rest from labor and a rest to Him. So a lot of people love that rest part. You gotta rest. So that means you can, you know, sleep in, do nothing. So that, that's one of the things that's really been convicting me. <laughs> this idea of rest, rest, rest. But it's it's a rest from labor so that you can go rest for him. So what does that might mean and what might might that look like? The people that go down and serve ladle on Sunday afternoons. Showing acts of mercy. You're, set, you're setting that aside for the Lord. You're serving the Lord by serving others. Go ahead. Uh, my wee Scottish grandmother, um, here in the United States, they prepared different food for Sunday. You could not play cards, but it was a special time that the man of the house would open the Bible and read it to the children and explain different areas that he was the head of the household. He got blessing through God to impart upon his children. And um, this is here in the U.S. They kept that coming over. Um, Walker Scott store was not open on Sundays. We have Chick-fil-A that's not. Um, Kensington, you've got... Um, What's the Mexican restaurant up there? Ponce's? Yeah, Ponce's is not open on Sunday. And, you know, you didn't go out shopping and you didn't do that. You were with your family. You were a Sunday driver and would go somewhere and eat from your own, you know, you'd bring your food, at least in our household, and we would sit someplace nice, look at the ocean, look at God's creation, things like that. But it was a time that the man of the house would impart God's wisdom to their children to pass on. So Carol and Abby got me a couple of Christmases ago at Ancestry.com, so I know kind of my makeup, and one is Scottish, uh, mostly Irish though. But one of the terms I I've been learning about studying the Sabbath when it comes to Scotland is they have a, a phrase, should we take out the book? Mm -hmm. Take out the book. Take out the book always on the Sabbath. Should we take out the book? So the rest which God has ordained is a rest from labor and a rest to him. The day of rest is a day which has a positive dimension and a focus towards the Lord our God. <coughs> we rest from the ordinary activities of the other six days. Why? So we might be released into the worship and contemplation of the glory of God. Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. There are a these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Paul did not argue against the importance of the laws of the Torah. However, he stressed that they cultivate in Jesus. If observing the Sabbath on a specific day of the week enabled you to honor Jesus, Paul would say go for it. Rituals do shape us, however, they lose their point when they no longer connect us 
to the person of Jesus. Um, so, can I ask a question? Good. If you don't mind going back to the last yep. slide, would you say with the commentary from that last slide about um, if observing the Sabbath on a specific day of the week enabled you to, to honor Jesus, Paul would say, go for it. Would you say for people that actually their jobs are, uh, you know, they've got to clock in on Sunday, that according to Paul in Colossians, there's actually, there's levity given, or there's, there's um, uh, flexibility. flexibility given for those people to, oh, I'm going to have to worship on Wednesdays or whatever, and that becomes the Sabbath, and that's kind of what he's getting at. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's exactly what he's getting at. So here's a person for 10 years who worked on Sundays. Yeah, I worked in the grocery business. Sundays were our second busiest day of the week. And I worked every Sunday. Um, and um, But I also wasn't a Christian. Then. I mean, I, I, I would say I hadn't given my, myself totally to Christ by then. So that's what I should have done. Uh, but I didn't do it. I just took it as, you know, I'm not excused. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. In our ministry, we have uh, Church at Work, which is a workplace ministry. So they celebrate a Sabbath every day of the week. Yeah. And it's integrated into their life. Um, so Jeff, what day are we not supposed to call you? <laughs> Saturday. Saturday. So, well, feel free to call me. Don't call Jeff on Saturday. Leave a really interesting voice <laughs> So didn't you say call Blaine instead? Yeah. Um, Let's get back. Friday till yeah, we do we do six p.m. Friday to six p.m. Saturday. <clears throat> oh, I can still write a sermon on Saturday. <laughs> but the fact of the matter remains that if we would remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, that's basically the fourth commandment. We distinguish it from all other days, and we do so by distinguishing it by exercising our hearts in religious exercises of worship and study, and prayer, and piety, and mercy to others, and kindness. I'll speak for me. I've done this. Do you, if you come, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you right now, once I started coming to this church, growing deeper in my faith, I miss when I can't be here. So I was out of town a couple weeks ago. It just doesn't feel right. But when you're here, even when you're here, are you one of those people, I will admit, sometimes I'm this way, where, you know, I'm going to go to worship. I want to be a good Christian. But boy... You better not go longer than 25 minutes. <laughs> and this worship service better be over by no later than 10.15. <coughs> and there's no way I'm hanging out and listening to Kirk until 11.30. And don't make me come back here in the evening for a prayer service or a, you know, a sacred concert. No, 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 no. Don't want that. So... If you're thinking that way, are we honoring the fourth commandment? Depends, maybe. Maybe not. Go ahead. I just think the phrase that's critical is exercising our hearts. Mm -hmm. Like getting out of our heads and actually be engaged, having our hearts yeah, and you know, it's, and that's one of the things. You know, it's not just coming and sitting and just kind of letting everything kind of happen to you. You know, it, like I've had lots of pastors in the past who've always talked to us about the fact that if you're having a problem getting something out of uh, the sermon, if you have something having a hard time getting something out of the worship service, you have something that's difficult for you getting something out of the Sunday school class. More than likely, that's on you. Right? I mean, I'm showing you all crane great videos. Show you chariots of fire. Um, 
Whenever our experience of worship is so devalued and our notion of the Lord's Day is so dis, uh, disintegrated so as to conceive of it in such a way that we believe that religious exercises are supposed to get over and done with as fast as they possibly can so that we may get on with that, the day, then we stand condemned before the fourth commandment. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking about what, like, what are the pressures of the culture Right. that cause us to get on with right. whatever the day is. And I mean, I'm, I tend to think that in the Western culture, it's productivity. You're going to check your email, you're going to get on that project that, that you went to. But I think it's, you know, before, Jesus, before the Lord gives the Ten Commandments, the, the Israelites have already experienced manna. And remember what they were supposed to do as far as gathering. They've already learned this lesson of if they, if they try to be productive on the day that, um, uh, you know, the manna was on the seventh day, yeah. it wasn't showing up, right? And if that was the only day that they gathered, if you gather on the sixth day, you could gather twice as much, and God would would carry you over to the first day of the week. But if you gather twice as much on any other day of the week, if you try to be overproductive, it then was, you're not relying on God's provision. And, right. yeah. and so this idea that you know God connects, at least in Exodus, he connects the Sabbath to creation. The idea that who is the one who actually puts bread on your table? Mm -hmm. God does. He's the producer and the creator. And so I don't know what the kind of the cultural idols would have been coming out of Egypt. But for us, the obvious one is productivity. So raise your hand. What day, whether you pick what high school, college, whatever, what day did you do most of your studying? Most of your studying. So you're in college. I went to college. What day do you think I did most of my studying? Sunday. 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 Right? I got to get ready for Monday. So Beg talks about in his book, once he became a Christian, he never studied a lick on Sunday. Never. So you have to figure it out, right? You've got to figure out the other six days because on Sunday it's going to be focused in on doing the Lord's work, worshiping God. I'm not, I'm not, open, I'm not cracking that book. I'm not writing that essay on Sunday. I never did that. I always was doing that. I was up in the wee hours of the day. So quite I, think, I think one of the um, cultures, at least if you're a parent, is sports on Sunday. Oh, yeah. So I was going to put that up, and I, I was going to have a good video, I mean, a good image to show you that. 1949, National Football League. Votes to move their games to Sunday. Why? Because nothing else took place on Sunday. We got them. I watch football. I might not anymore, but it's also a little league. Little league. Yeah, all chase those kids around well, on you, Sundays. You, I don't know about you, but when I was in little league, when I was in soccer, no sports leagues had stuff on Sundays. Right. You would have gotten cartoon for that. Uh, we got to. I got to get to my video. Chariots of fire. So, is this questions to ask ourselves? Is this activity a selfish indulgence? Talking about when it comes to honoring the Sabbath. Am I doing as I please without reference to God and His Word? Will participation be a help or a hindrance to delighting in the Sabbath? And am I helping others to take the Lord's Day seriously by engaging in this activity? Four good questions to ask yourself. So, it's a fire. Really fast, because we've got to show the video. Anybody know why I play Chariots of Fire? We do. Okay. Why, Lloyd? What? Why? Because Eric Lowe respected the Sabbath. He couldn't run his regular race uh, because it was going to be run on Sunday. So he opted, or they shifted him from running his regular race to running uh, the 400 meters. Very good. It was kind of excellent. Give so, up the cold, basically. So here, here's the story. So 1924, by the way, Olympics are in Paris in 1924, if we have an Olympics in, in 2024, Paris. 
So this will be the 100th anniversary in the same city. Uh, back then when sports, especially the Olympics, were amateur sports, so Eric Little was the Flying Scotsman. He was this gigantic runner. He's, he went to the University of Edinburgh. And, and he was the best runner in Great Britain. But there was another guy in Cambridge, uh, Harold Abrams, Jewish, who was an up-and-comer. And Eric Little um, was a sprinter, 100 meters. And that was also Harold Abrams. So in 1924, they both get put on the Olympic team for Great Britain. And come to find out the heats to qualify for the final of the 100 meter was um, going to be run on Sunday. And Little said, I can't do that. And he got all this pressure from um, the, uh, the, the British Olympic Committee, you know, you got to do this for God, you know, not just God, but for country, for king. And he goes, you know, I, I, I honor my country, I honor the king, but I also honor God who's above those people. Not going to happen. So one of his teammates, who had already won a sil silver medal in another race, came in and said, give him my spot in the 400. Now this is where it gets interesting. The Americans are the ones who had the team. Little was not a 400 meter runner. He wasn't supposed to win that race. Um, the Americans in that race basically had every position except for one, his. And he was a 100-meter sprinter. He wasn't supposed to win. Now, Little was also, his parents, he was born in China. Mm -hmm. And his parents um, were missionaries there. And his sister, who you'll see in the video, this isn't his girlfriend, her name is um, Jenny. Uh, it's his sister who was really having a problem with this idea of him wanting to run and run. And, you know, I, I, she said, I'm worried about you. I'm worried you're losing your focus on God. Uh, she shows up to this race. And then pay close attention about the note that is given to him right before he runs. So I did some research on it. Now, is this Hollywood or is this real? Because you know Hollywood, they'll, they'll throw things in for you. Um, and as far as I know, it wasn't given to him by the specific character in the movie, but he did receive this note right before he ran the race. And I do uh, <clears throat> apologize for the uh, quality. It's YouTube. It's a little blurry. But I think we'll get it. So they're running that on YouTube right now, is that what you're saying? Uh, just excerpts. Ah. Yeah. Uh, the final 400 meters. Dado, it's a Yeah. Good luck. Don't expect I'll see you after the race. No problem. He's a flyer. He's had two races today already. He'll die. Just swing along, you guys, and wait. After 300 meters, rigor mortis sets in. We'll pull him in on a rope. Watch out for little. Coach says no problem. He's got something to prove, something personal, something guys like Coach will never understand. that honors me, I will honor. Good luck, Jackson Schultz.
does the power come from to see the race to its end from within? coffee. I was jittery, I was anxious. It became really obvious to me that my coffee addiction was more... That was perfect. <laughs> you know, you, you know, all my, my administrators, you know, you gotta use more media, you gotta use, you know, there's so much stuff on there. So you show some YouTube thing and then the, the thing comes up with the, you know, lingerie commercial and you got your 12-year-old sitting in your car. Um, Couple things about about this though. Um, this was the the quote um, from Little, and these are actual pictures of Eric Little, the actor, great actor, who who portrayed him in the movie, also from Scotland, also went to the University of Edinburgh. Um, but the Olympic official now, come on, Little, for the sake of your king and your country. You put aside these silly ideas of yours about the Sabbath and about the Lord's Day. And little, I would never set aside my king or my country, save that there was a higher power, a higher authority, than the one who sets up kings and the ones who brings them down, and I will not run. But luckily he had a, a, a teammate who gave up a spot. He actually set the Olympic record in that race. He was not supposed to win that race at all. I love the scene where the guy comes up, he goes, yeah, watch out for Little. He, he has something deep inside that the coach doesn't, he doesn't get. So, um, What happened to him afterward? I there, mean, there you go. I, I, I'm a historian. Are you so coming I, to that? I'm, yeah, I'm a historian. Oh. i got to give you that. <laughs> so after that, Little, for the most part, gave up competitive running. Remember, there wasn't really any professional type thing. He goes back to, to China, China as a missionary. Ah. He comes back a couple times, 32, 39, to visit Scotland for a, a few, few, few days. But the war starts in the late 30s. He's put into an internment camp. And he dies there, 1945, right before the uh, end of the war. But this is what's fascinating. It wasn't just um, expatriates who were interned by the Japanese. It's also Chinese. And Little, because of what he did as a leader in that camp, to, people said, you know, he was, he was just such a wonderful person with the young people and organizing sports and games and, you know, leading Bible studies and such. They have, this is a, this internment camp in China, they have a, a, a monument to Eric Little. Mm -hmm. It's right on the left, and then they also have a statue of him on the right mm -hmm. that the Chinese put up. I'm surprised they haven't taken it down. We, we, exactly. They hate Christians. Well, there's a lot of Christians in uh, I know, China. I know, they hate it. But 
once again, we gotta we gotta remember when it comes to this idea of, of legalism. You know, all, all of us might be confronted with a, a situation like this. I'm not saying you necessarily have to go down the same road that Little did, but Little was willing to take it and think about it and decide for me, I'm not doing it. So he gives up his best race, ends up running a race nobody expected him to win, and God honored that. He wins the race, he sets the Olympic record, then gives all that up, goes back to China as a missionary, dies there uh, in an internment camp during the end of World War II. And my guess is, if Little would have lost that race, he, should, he would have been fine with it too. So I, I kept you a little bit over. Let me end in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time to be together. Help us to think about and to contemplate what it means to honor you each and every day, but especially on the day that you set aside for us, the Sabbath day. Help us to do that, Lord. We thank you that you are our Lord and our Savior, and we pray this in your name. Amen.